this, but reality is there was probably something in your life this week that was in the background, kind of a background app, kind of just music. Christy talked about the first Sunday about how you go into a store. Do you know that the music that in stores is very, very much on purpose when you're shopping? The music can elicit us to, to feel more brave to buy something or, or something, stuff like that. That, that you and I, no matter how old we are, students to, to adults to, to, to older than adults, I don't know, you know for the, <laughs> um, all of us have some, like have this background chat, track going on that's like, hey, come on over here. Babylon's, the message of Babylon is, hey, I, I have everything that you need over here. You don't need God. You don't need to follow his ways. His ways are kind of difficult sometimes. You're like, yeah, that is kind of difficult. Do you want this over here? Yeah, I do. And the, the reality is, is this, this is going on in every single one of our lives. And maybe you haven't thought about it that way. Maybe you disagree, but th- th- you felt that, like, what is that? Like, I just can't get a leg up. I just can't seem to kick this. I just can't seem to stop. What is that? Well, here at church, we would describe that as, as sin. And we would call it that, that, that we have an enemy, that, that there's this, this Babylon, there's this culture that's against God's culture. And it's at work in your life and in mine to try to take us away from God, which ultimately leads to destruction. And it's time that we start acting like our hair is on fire. It is like, like I, want, I want you guys to know, some of you today, you're going to say by the end of today, you're like, it's time. It's time. You are going to make a decision. I, and I, I've been praying for you all week that you would have the courage to make the decision that it's time. See, one of the things that we need to know about God is he's dead set against this lullaby. Like he, he you know, just as, as those, the lullabies, I mean, don't you, don't you, doesn't it really irk you when somebody is trying to subtly undermine you? Let's put it a different way. How many parents are in the room? And if there was, like, parents, if you saw at the middle school a drug dealer talking to your kids, you know, just, like, subtly, like, like trying to, hey, come on, you should come and try. You would, I mean, dude, you would freak out. I know you would. I would, and I'd, I'd, be, I'd be like, hey, I need, I'm going to get my buddy Chris, and he, he's going to freak out on you because this is not cool, right? And that's called good parenting. How much more so is God, the creator of the universe, your heavenly father and mine, opposed to the subtle lullaby that's going on in our lives? And that's what I want to think about today is, is his perspective on these little lies, on these little things that happen, these things that say it's not that bad, no one really knows, no one's getting hurt. All of these things when we, that we say to ourselves or we think you know, somehow pop into our minds as we continue going on something that's maybe not like totally destructive, but maybe kind of destructive. You know, like we flirt, we play. God's, we, we need to know, I just need a level set, that God's stance against this is strong. That God's, per, you know, as, if you come to God in prayer about these things, the answer's going to be pretty stark, pretty bleak, pretty, yeah, you need to just rage against that. You need to start acting like your hair is on fire. And, and, and if we don't know this, I wanted to say this. I wanted to say this in the beginning because if you don't know that, if we don't know that going in, God's going to seem like a meanie head. I'm serious. 
God's going to seem, and, and maybe you've struggled with this. Maybe this is part of the reason why you've struggled with faith in the past. It's so narrow. It's so difficult. It's, it's, so, it's like, can I even do that? Can I even reach that? Right? Why would God push so hard? And the answer is very simple. The reason he's so stubborn, so relentless, so unflinching, is because he's against drug dealers at the middle school. He's against anything in your life and in mine that would destroy us, even a little bit. We're going to put it this way. This is the big idea for this morning. And it's up on the screen. God can't not see the best version of you and me. The reason that God rages against us, the reason that God is relentless and stubborn, the reason that Jesus died on the cross, like talk about urgency and talk about drastic things, he's willing to die on the cross for our sins, is because God can't not see the best version of you and me. And the lullabies in my life and the lullabies in your life are not leading to your best version. They're not leading me to my best version. It's still a version of me. Even if I, you know, if, I, if I do a bunch of, like if I sin a bunch this week, if I fall into temptation, if I do a bunch of things that I'll regret later this week, I'm still Josh. But it's a version of me that maybe I won't like. And it's a version of me that maybe my family will, will be like, I, I don't know, what's dad doing? It's a version of me that, that might break relationship with you if it gets out of control, right? And so God's, he, and here's the thing. When God looks at you, guess, this is so cool, guys, because I was worried about this, this sermon today that it's too, like, oppressive or too heavy, and it is. This is a heavier sermon in, in my repertoire, for sure. But the good news, like, this is good news. Do you know that when God sees you, he sees the best version of you? This is the guy, this is the being that knows everything about you. He knows, like, like you might be sitting next to your spouse and they know a lot about you. He knows more than they do about you and still, and, and knows all of your piccadillies, all of the things you've done wrong, all the things that you've come clean for, all the things you haven't come clean from. And he still, he's, he sees you and he says, I see the best version of that person, of my son or my daughter. He refuses to see less. And that's why he sent his son, is so that through his son, we can step into our best version. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's the, here's the thing. God is not a meaning head. It, it just, just like, and students, students, here's the thing. Your parents, and I, I remember thinking, like, I will never do that as a parent. Like, when I'm a, when I'm a parent, I'm just let my kids do whatever. And I'm like, now I'm a parent, I'm like, I don't let my kids do whatever. Because I care, like, I, I, I don't, like, and, and when they're in trouble, when they get in trouble in school, and, and I, I'm like, I'll let the consequences, right? I'm not one of those helicopter parents who are like, you can't yell at my kid. I'm like, no, if you, my kid needs yelling at, yell at them. But I also, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, but this isn't them. What they just did, please don't, please don't reduce my child to, to what they just did. I know you might not know much about them, but there's so much more. Than that, You know why? Because as a dad, as, as a hopefully a good dad, I can't not see who they really are, who they're made to be. I, I, God, and God, same is true with you and God, God can't not see the best 
version of you. Another way of saying this, honestly, this is the, what I'm about to say is a simpler way of saying this. I like the double negative. You guys, can we roll, roll with it? I know, like, if, you, if you're like an English person, you're like, yeah, but just come, come with me. Another way of saying is God is committed to the best version of you. He can see it, and he wants to see that version through. Um, yeah, and th- here's another way of saying it. God can't not see how beautiful it would be if you didn't have that thing. God can't not see how beautiful life could be if substances weren't what you run to every time that you feel crappy. He, he can't not see what it would be like if you didn't, weren't trying to prove yourself through your work and just chasing the next dollar, chasing, you know, like, like getting richer and richer. What is the, like, why, why are you driven towards that? God can't not see how beautiful it would be if that wasn't a thing. Fill in the blank with yours. God can't not see how beautiful it would be if this was put to rest. These are the lullabies he's trying to keep us from. And what it's, it, what it's taking from us is, is stealing joy. It's sucking our soul. Um, it's, it's this unrecognizable drain on our lives that if we're honest with ourselves, we actually would come to know. And Jesus is standing and saying, it's time. It's time. It's time to start acting like your hair is on fire. Once we understand this, once you understand as that is a backdrop as why God is so relentless about this, it actually starts making, uh, makes the, the New Testament make a lot more sense. I don't know if you've ever read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Jesus actually, like, honestly, if you haven't read them much, if, if, I would encourage you to read them towards it. And, and I promise you, you're actually going to read a lot and be like, what? Wait, what? what? What are you saying, Jesus? And some of it, like, even to this day, I'm like, I'm not sure what Jesus is saying there. The other 90% of that I understand, like, this is awesome. That's why I keep reading it. But there's parts of it, it's like, man, I don't know what he's saying. And, and part of that is it's a culture difference. We're, we're so, we're, we're, we've been in the lull. We've been in the lullaby long enough that we, we don't understand Jesus' words. And, and honestly, wrestling with this idea that, like, God is dead set against your sin helps us understand Jesus a lot more. Here's two, reasons, here's two ways why. It helps us understand Jesus' attitude towards people and Jesus' attitude towards sin. So start, let's start with people. When it comes to people, because, Jesus, because God, go back up to the, the, the slide, the fact that God can't not see the best version of you and me means that as Jesus walked around and, and when he put on flesh, we just celebrated that like three weeks ago, the whole you know, baby Jesus thing and Christmas, and he, he grew up. And as he's walking around, Jesus, who we believe was the son of God, couldn't not see the best version of the people he was walking around with. And it makes sense. That, this makes sense a lot. It makes sense that, that when he walks up to Matthew, the tax collector, so he's, you know, Jesus is collecting himself. He's collecting disciples, and he walks up to this guy, Matthew, the tax collector, who's not even, like, here's the thing. When you become a rabbi or when you were a rabbi and people wanted to, like, follow you, you'd put, like, an application in. You'd be like, hey, can I follow you? And, they, and, and the rabbi would, you know, like, think about it or whatever. This guy didn't even put in an application. He's a tax collector. He's like, there's no way. He, Jesus actually put in an application for him and said, I accept you. And the, the other disciples were like, why? And he's like, because you can't see what I can see. I can see the best version of this guy. So I choose him. 
Another time, it was, it was another tax collector, Zacchaeus. He's like, I'm coming to your house today. Like, like I, I, you, don't, I, you don't even need to invite me because I see the best version of you. This happened everywhere. Needy people. He, like, needy people were glomming on to Jesus all the time. And Jesus, like, let it happen because he couldn't not see the best version of these needy people. Broken people, Roman soldiers, wailing blind people. Like, Jesus, like, people who were just making a fool out of themselves just to get to Jesus. And the disciples, I, I, they had to be like, we're going to go this way. You know, like, like, let's go this way. And Jesus is like, nope, we're going this way because I can see the best version of them and they're, it's, they're worthwhile. Just let that sink in for a second. If you've ever felt on the outskirts, if you've ever, if you, if you had a problem making friends, if you've ever had problems just like, I don't know where I fit, Jesus would come to you because he, he sees the best version of us, even Judas. This is crazy. It seems like if you read the Gospels, the guy who betrayed him, it seems like even to the very last minute, Jesus can't help but see the best version of Judas. And you're like, are you sure you want to do this? Jesus, uh, Judas, you, you, you betrayed me with a kiss. Like, are you sure? Isn't that incredible? That's his attitude towards people. He just couldn't help. Let me just ask you this. If you could see the best version of people, what might it change in your life? That's, that's kind of like a sermon at. Like that's not what we're talking about today. But like think about that for a second. If you could see, if all you could see was the best version of the people around you, the people you work with, the people you go to school with, what might it change in how you react and, and act towards people, your attitude towards people? That was his attitude. That, that's changed. Let's talk about his attitude towards sin. He had a very staunch view. If you've, if you've read the Gospels, you know that Jesus taught things like this. Matthew 5, chapter 5, verse 29. You can turn in your Bibles to that if you want, if you have your Bibles. Matthew 5, 29. If not, we're going to read it. This is Jesus' attitude and approach towards sin. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Throw it away. It is better for you to lose one body part one part of your body, then for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And I imagine somebody was like, I'm sorry, excuse me, I have a question. And Jesus is like, I'm not finished. And if your right eye causes you, verse 30, and if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, cut it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. He says the same thing over and over again. And, and basically what he's saying is, when it comes to sin, drastic times call for drastic measures. You can put it this way, drastic crimes <laughs> call for drastic measures. When you and I are face-to-face -face with our sin, with what we know is wrong, we should, cut off, we should be willing to go as far as cutting off our arm. Now, obviously, we're not supposed to do this because all of us would be walking around with no arms and no eyes right now, and that would change church. It would be different, you know? But the point still remains. The, the, uh, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, if we're going to follow Jesus in every area of our lives, including when it comes to facing our own sins, we're going to have to do something drastic. We're going to have to act like our hair is on fire at some point in time. At some point in time, Jesus is going to come and interrupt our lives and tap us on the shoulder and say, it's time. It's time. It's time to cut it off. It's time to gouge it out. It's time to act like our hair is on fire. 
Jesus, like this was his approach and attitude towards sin. Therefore, when he saw people sinning, he was not afraid to call a spade a spade. And Jesus, like in culture, like Jesus is, he's such, dude, he's so interesting. Because on one hand, it's like he's so forgiving. He's so gracious, right? And if we're not careful, we can be like, let's just read those passages. Let's just quote those Jesus passages because they, they make us feel good. They're uplifting. Like, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. Come to me, all the, you who are weary and burdened, you know, and I'll give you peace. I'll give you, I'll give you rest. And those passages are important. We have, and we're not going to cut those out, but we can't leave out. When he came to sin, he was not afraid to call a spade a spade. There's this guy, the rich young ruler. You're probably, most of you are probably familiar with that story. It's a guy that, that on the outside everybody envied because he's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler, so he had authority. And I, I, I picture, I always like to think about what the disciples were thinking about when that guy walked up and had a very sincere conversation with Jesus. I would like to follow you. And it was this awesome conversation, and it was actually kind of philosophical until it wasn't. It became very practical very fast when Jesus is like, we're going to cut to the chase here, and this is what it means. I want you to follow me. I want you to go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come back, and then we'll talk. And the man went away sad because he had great wealth. That's how the passage goes. And, and, and it literally, the disciples are like, see, here's the thing about Jesus. Is, is it, it, there's going to be a time when you're following Jesus where you're like, are you sure about this? Jesus, seriously, quit freaking out. Can you just chill out a little bit? And the reason I know that that's going to happen is because literally everybody in the New Testament at one point in time was like, seriously? Like the disciples at that point in time were like, seriously? Not even that guy? If that guy can't make it and to be a disciple, we're all screwed. That's in so many words. They didn't say that. But like in so many words, they were, hope, they were like hopeless. Like, Jesus, why are you freaking out? And, and, and we have to kind of fill in the blank here a little bit. This, you know, we don't know exactly why Jesus asked him so, something so difficult. When, you know, like three chapters before, he's like, Matthew, the tax collector, come with me. You know, like we don't know why. But my guess was his wealth and his sin were so intertwined. One was leaning on the other so much. He's like, if you really want to get rid of your sin, you really want to be, we're talking about perfection. You want to be perfect. For you, young man, that's going to be a drastic thing. You need to act like your hair is on fire and go sell everything. That was his attitude towards sin. And another time, he's, a woman was caught in the act of adultery. And she, you know, you, you might be familiar with this story too. They, um, Jesus is, is brilliant in this exchange. I think it's in John 16. You should read it. Um, no, it's not 16. 8. John 8. Um, I, don't call me on that either. It's in John and um, you should read it because it's this amazing exchange where he's able to, to basically save her from the people who are wanting to condemn her. And at the end of it, it's just he and her, and they're all alone. And he says, that, you know, he's like, where are your accusers? She's like, they're gone. He's like, therefore, neither I, I don't, I don't condemn you either. And that's what we all want to hear, like, hey, I, I'm, you're not condemned. Your sin is not going to define who you are. You're not going to be known by your mistakes. Isn't that what we all want to hear? 
And that, but he doesn't just leave it there. He says, neither do I condemn you, but you should go and leave your life of sin. He's not afraid to call a spade a spade. He, he, Jesus, who sees the best version of ourselves, sees the best version of this woman, says, if you want your best version, like, this is what I, I, you need to leave that life of sin and step into that best version. That was his attitude towards sin. And then last, but very not much not least, in the gospel narratives is the Pharisees. Dude, the stuff that Jesus said to his Pharisees, like, did Jesus say that? Like, I thought Jesus was nice. Like, I thought Jesus would, like, loved us, you know, and died on the cross. Did he die on the cross for their sins? Because it seems like he hates them, you know? Like, like you're literally, like, like he's, like, he'll, he'll be, like, don't be like them. Don't act like them. Don't give like them. Don't pray like them. And they're, like, Jesus, we're right here. <laughs> like, most of the time, they're in the crowd as he's saying this stuff. And the point is, is like they're, they're, there's something, their hypocrisy was so dripping, was so wrong. He's like, you need to stay away from that. And then there were times you're like, all right, you, you know, like you're in the crowd. Woe to you. Woe is you, Pharisees. You say one thing and you do another. You're like whitewashed tombs. You're really nice on the outside, but the inside's literally rotting in death. You, you need to change. Woe, he's doing it out of love, like to, to shock them, like, hey, come back to God. Woe to you. And the point of these interactions, each of these interactions is an opportunity for these people to be real. The young, rich young ruler, the, the woman caught in adultery, the, even the Pharisees themselves is like, hey, it's time. It's time to stop pretending. It's time to repent. It's time to start acting like your hair is on fire. One point in time, um, Jesus is with his disciples. And this, this is a really funny, he, he's talking about the Pharisees. And they're in this boat. And um, it's, uh, I think it's Matthew that says they forgot bread. They had gotten on this boat and it, like they'd forgotten food, the snacks. They didn't bring the snacks for the road trip. And um, the disciples didn't. And when Jesus became aware of that, he said this. He's like, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And this is hilarious. Like, you guys need to read your Bibles more because it's, it, it's so funny. Like, like the, the disciples are like, he's mad at us because we forgot the bread. Jesus is hangry at us right now, so he's calling us Pharisees. You know, like, like they knew how much he didn't like the Pharisees, and he's like, they, he's really mad because he's so hungry. And he's like, and literally Jesus, know, knowing their hearts, he's like, guys, this is not about bread. This is not about bread. This is about hypocrisy. This is about sin. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. I brought some yeast today. Because yeast is really interesting stuff. This is like, this is like two years supply of yeast for me. For really our family. No, no, Christy would use more than this. But I like never make bread. So this is like, this might be a lifetime supply of yeast right here. Because I was looking at recipes this week for bread. And you'll have like, um, you know, in the recipe, it'll call for four, maybe five cups of flour. And then other, you know, like other ingredients. And then, but when it comes to the yeast, you're using a teaspoon, maybe two. And somehow that yeast goes throughout the whole batch of bread. Jesus talks about this, right? 
to, yeah, like this little teaspoon right here. It takes like this much yeast to treat bread to make it rise and do its bread thing. That's all I know about bread. But what's crazy is that, like, you're talking about, like, a ratio of about 1 to 100 or 1 to 200 bread, you know, yeast to flour. And then that yeast works throughout the whole batch. And this is a, this is a popular, uh, in, in the Bible, this is one of, like, the, the, the biggest imageries that the Old Testament and New Testament use for sin. Is it doesn't take much <laughs> to ruin the whole batch. You know, like, imagine if I had a glass of water up here, and then I, I, like, you know, like, licked my finger and then put it in the glass and then offered it to you. You probably wouldn't do it. Or, like, hey, it's okay. There's only a little E. coli in it. Right? You're just going to stay away. It, it, see, that's, that's God's view of sin because that's actually what sin can do in our lives. It never stays put. How many of you have ever told a lie? that you had to tell a lie for again. You know, like, I'll just tell one lie, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to tell one more lie to cover up the lie. That's, that's yeast. That's yeast growing and getting everywhere. And that, this, this thing is, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees. Be careful, like, you see it so clearly in their lives. Make sure it's not tainting yours. And see, every time that Jesus talked about yeast, to his Jewish audience, they knew exactly what he was talking about, that he wasn't talking, well, except for that one time with the disciples, they thought he was talking about bread. He's like, guys, it's not about bread. It's about sin. It's about yeast. It's about hypocrisy. It's about, it's about fooling yourselves and thinking, yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing okay. But in reality, you're just like fooling yourselves. Everybody else knows. The Jews were very familiar with this imagery because every year, and this is where we're going to camp today, this is, the, this is actually really interesting, Every year, they would celebrate something called Passover. And they would go, there was a ritual, there was a lot of deep, uh, powerful ritualism within the Jewish religion. And it stems from things like this, where, where in the Passover, um, they, they were called, it was in the book of Exodus, we'll read it here in a second. It was a ritual where they were to not cook bread that had yeast in it. So we're going to take communion today, and we have bread that doesn't have yeast in it. Um, we, we as Christians kind of, we, we fudge on this one sometimes with our bread. Like it probably should be unleavened bread that we're using for communion. But they would, so what they would do um, for the, the Passover is it, they would not, they would had to cook bread that didn't have yeast in it. Again, it's not about yeast. It's a symbol for something. And not only that, they were supposed to get rid of all the yeast that was in their their household. Look at Exodus 12. Check this out. Exodus 12, uh, verse 14. We'll read it here in a second. If you want to look there in your Bibles, if not, it'll be on the screen. And this is cool. The, the beginning of, of chapter 12 starts to say, this is a new year for you. Like, you guys are in slavery in Egypt. Like, you, 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 you need to be freed. Um, you need my help to free you, so I'm going to do that, this is, and when I do that, this is going to mark a new year. This is like a new you, uh, nation of Israel. You're going to kill and eat a lamb that night, um, and you're going to take the blood and put it on the doorpost, which is really gruesome. Um, and then as a, when you, if you do that, there'll be an angel that will, like the angel of the Lord will pass over you. 
and will attack the Egyptians, but will not attack you. Which, again, that's also grisly, but the thing is, is like, this is not God's first, like, go-to, like, hey, I'll just kill a bunch of Egyptians. He, it was actually years and years of, like, sending smaller plagues, and then medium plagues, and then large plagues, and then it was just finally like, okay, you have to let my people go. And so God literally attacks the Egyptians, and he's like, in order to be spared from that attack, put blood on your doorposts, maybe you remember studying this, and I will pass over your house. That's where they get the idea of Passover. Verse 14, chapter 12 of Exodus says this, this is a day you are to commemorate. For generations and generations to come, you shall celebrate this festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are not to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your house. So it's not just, it's not just not, don't cook bread with yeast in it, but remove all the yeast in your house. And, and Jewish people do this to this day. It's almost like a spring cleaning. They'll go throughout their house and they'll scrub it to get all the crumbs out of their cupboard to get rid of the, the leaven, to get rid of the yeast for the Passover on the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. Forever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh day. This is a, he's like, I'm not joking, guys. They must be cut off from Israel. I want you to do this. And again, as modern readers, be like, why? What's the big deal? Does God hate yeast? Obviously not, because he lets them eat it the other 51 years, weeks of the year. It's not about yeast. It's about this, and, and here's what we learn from this idea. Uh, actually, like, um, go down to, uh, go to Deuteronomy 16, chapter 3. Do not, it says this, do not eat, uh, do not eat it with bread made with yeast. Speaking of, like, the, uh, the uh, Passover meal, or, yeah, the Passover meal and the sacrifice. But for seven days, eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste. The reason that, it, they, that he's like, you're not gonna, you're gonna be leaving so fast. You're gonna be leaving your slavery with such urgency. You're not gonna have time to even let your bread rise. It's gonna be on your back, and it's gonna be flat, and you're gonna be on the go. And here's the beautiful imagery in that. This idea of yeast in the Bible is, is, is and the idea of like them, them celebrating this over and over again, year after year. It reminds them that yeast is a strong agent. It'll spread, like sin, it spreads through all, our whole body, and we need to make sure that we get, we, we get it out. It, it, it makes us, it, it reminded them when they were, of the exodus, and there's, that there's times in our lives that sometimes we need to be urgent and with haste act to leave a life of slavery. That there are times that we need to be really serious and come face to face with the sin that's destroying our lives, cut it out of our lives, and get out of there with haste. And then lastly, it reminds us that every once in a while we have to clean house. That's the reality. Like, like, it, like if you're a Christian in the room, if you're in Christ, you have been forgiven of your sin. You are cleansed when God looks at you. Not only does he want to see the best version of you, he actually does see the best version of you through his son, Jesus Christ. That's amazing. So why do we need to talk about this? All of that is true. And at the same time, there's every once in a while, especially, dude, adults, stick with me here. 
The reality, if you've been going to church for more than five, ten years, make sure I don't lose you here. Because here's the deal. We still need to clean house every once in a while. We're forgiven of that sin, but, the, but we're still, if we're still sinning, there are still the consequences of sin in our lives, and we're not stepping into the best version of ourselves. And Jesus is sitting there saying, it's time. It's time. It's time to get real. It's time to stop playing games. It's time to stop pretending like it's not a big deal. It's time to, 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 to face the reality and own some of the things that you've done, some of the things you're doing. It's time to, 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 to maybe side with the loved ones around you who, are, who have been tapping you on the shoulder for maybe years and saying, Mom, Dad, have you thought about? And you're like, nah. It's time. It's time to leave Egypt. It's time to let, leave a life of sin behind. It's time to take yeast as seriously as it needs to be taken. It's time. It's time to act like your hair is on fire. It's time to clean the yeast out of the cupboard. It's something that we have to do every once in a while. And bring it before the Lord and feel the freedom that, that comes from, from repenting and, and bringing that sin before him. Feeling light as a feather. It's time. This is how I want to end. This is the, the, the prayer that I want to leave you with uh, today. Put it up on the board for me, Trevor. Lord, would you give me a vision of my best version? We're going to have a time of prayer. Actually, Mom, why don't you come on up? and um, She's going to play some music for us. I'm going to give you space to just kind of reflect and to pray this prayer. Lord, Give me a vision for my best version. Lord, I know that you can't not see my, the best version of me. Would you help me to see my best version of me? And we're going to have just a, some time of prayer. And then um, we'll take communion together. And do you guys want a story? Can I read a story to you? That's a yes. All right, I'm going to read a story to you after communion. It's from C.S. Lewis, so, you know, it's good. Let me pray. God, would you help us to see the best version of ourselves? Lord, would you help us to stop pumping the brakes? Would you help us to, to, to be honest with ourselves? Lord, we deceive ourselves so easily. And I thank you for your grace. I thank you for, for some of us, you've been tapping on our shoulder for a while. There's just something that you want us to think about, something that, that you want to change in our lives and we, we've been resistant to you. My prayer for us is this. Would you give us a vision of the other side? Would you give us a vision of our best version? And Lord, for the person who's in here this morning and, and they've never actually thought about this kind of stuff before, they've never prayed a prayer like this to you, I want to create space right now for that to happen you've never invited Jesus into your life to, to like, maybe you believe in him and been drawn to him, but you've never actually invited him into your heart to kind of rearrange things, I want you to pray this prayer, pray this prayer with me. God, I invite you into my life to be Lord of my life. And as Lord of my life, I invite you to every part of it.
change me. I repent of my sins. I'm tired of my sin controlling and ruining my life. And I give it to you. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for um, your word. Thank you for your son. And thank you for seeing the best in us and fighting for that. Pray all this in your